Welcome to the new Two Docs in a Pod, presented by WellMed. Over the next half hour, Two Docs in a Pod will educate you about the health and wellness of adults everywhere. Co-hosts Dr. Tamika Perry and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron will share information to improve your health and well-being. And now, here are Ron Aaron and Dr. Tamika Perry. Well, welcome to Two Docs in a Pod, presented by WellMed. I'm Ron Aaron, delighted to have you on board. With us today, our co-host, Dr. Tamika Perry. Dr. Perry is an associate medical director at WellMed. She oversees several large clinics in the Optum Care North Texas region and the Southern sector. Associate medical director, Dr. Perry's goal is to support providers at those clinics as they deliver quality care and compassionate patient care as well. Dr. Perry is yes. a graduate of Prairie View A&M University went on to graduate from Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine, where she was National Health Service Corps Scholar, completed her family medicine residency at Methodist Charlton Medical Center, where she served as chief resident. And we're delighted, as always, to have Dr. Perry with us. And Tamika, it is good to see you again. Yes, you too, Ron. You too. So I'm so excited about today's guest. Well, we're going to be talking about advanced care and advanced care planning with a fellow graduate, that's it right. turns out, of uh, Prairie View. So why don't we introduce our special guest, Charlotta Spencer, is with WellMed Network of Texas in Houston. She is a nurse practitioner and is the lead nurse practitioner for the WellMed Supportive and Palliative Care team in Houston, earned her doctorate in nursing from Chamberlain University, completed her master's of science in nursing at Prairie View A&M, and Dr. Charlotta is board certified in family practice, hospice, and palliative care. And Dr. Spencer, it is great to have you with us. Thank you for having me, y'all. This is super exciting. Yes. Now, before we uh, get rolling here, I want to pick up on something we were chatting about off the air, and that is your 17-year-old daughter uh, who is involved in 4-H and is at the moment uh, raising a steer and a pig. And while she's off at a 4-H convention, you and your husband are now the steer and pig caretakers. Yes, we are. We are. So um, before I go out to see my patients, I have to stop by and, and feed in the morning. And then the afternoon after I see my patients, I have to feed them as well. Um, but it's been a great joy to watch them. And they know you're coming. So they're mooing and doing all those things <laughs> when they see your car drive up. Um, but hey, a great, great experience. You said today you had to haul hay. Yes. So my, my, I, I ride with a medical assistant. Uh, we worked together as a buddy. And so we were on our way to see a patient and I told her, do you mind if I pick up some hay? And she's originally, she's originally from California. She said, that's the most Texas thing I've ever done. <laughs> we hauled it in the back and went to do it and went to see our patients. Um, well, tell us a little bit about what motivated you to get involved in palliative care and advanced care planning. So um, I've been a nurse. Uh, this is my 19th year. Next year, I'll be celebrating 20 years in nursing. And I've always wanted to be a nurse, love taking care of patients, oldest, oldest child, right? Um, when I started my nursing career, I started on a lockdown unit at Charity Hospital New Orleans. Oh, wow. Uh, HIV and AIDS. 
And so that was not the dream. The dream was supposed to be level one trauma ER, and this is where God has placed me. So in doing that, I had lots of death and dying, and I just didn't know that's where I, where I was supposed to be. Fast forward through Hurricane Katrina, and I relocated here to Houston, and I was hired to open up a medical oncology unit. And there, I was an, I was an oncology nurse, giving chemotherapy, um, taking care of patients with chronic illnesses, and I just knew that there was something missing. And so I always tell the story that um, I was working really hard to take care of my patients with different symptoms. They had nausea and pain and all distress and spiritual distress. And I didn't know how to take care of that part of the patient. And so here walks in this lady, um, this young lady with uh, long, long black hair and high heels and a white coat. And she had started a palliative care program at my hospital and they decided to start on my unit oncology unit and so when she came in I was like what is this woman doing right and so I was like what is she doing and, and I was a charge nurse when I was you know having to do assignments and I'm like and she's taking my nurses so I was like really not understanding but as as she would come out of the room or her partner a nurse practitioner would come out of the room with the patients I would see a sense of release with the family I would see the patients feeling much better hearing it from the nurses and so I was like, what is she doing? So fast forward a little bit, she started what we call a staff champion program in which we taught palliative 101 to the, um, to the nurses and they became champions to help the, pa the patients, the families and the physicians. And so I took the course. So in, in that I was just in love, right? And um, I had one more year left before I finished my master's and I became that champion, of course. And she pulled me off at the, at the elevator and she said, do you want to work for me? And I said, I'm not finished school yet. She said, I'll wait for you. And I, she waited for me. So I've been in palliative care. Probably all of my nursing career did not know it. And then as when I became a nurse practitioner, I landed right into a private practice. We were the largest private practice in Houston. We serviced 14 hospitals and I became the lead of that practice as well. And it's just become such a passion to me that if a patient has their wishes and um, their symptoms are managed, their wishes are known, it's a different experience. And Diane does not have to be miserable. And when I started to see her and her, her staff go into the rooms, and although the patients were dying, they were dying with dignity. They were, they were free of suffering. It just was something for me. And especially in the Hispanic and African-American communities, dying, with anybody is such a bad thing but that those particular communities it's like oh no 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 we can't make these decisions and so for me empowering my my, my community to understand and to and to allow patients to have their own voice and then you advocate for them with their voice has just been my life work and so if anybody knows me they know i'm going to say what's your wishes girl we're not <laughs> we're not gonna we, we got to take care of that first now stay with me just a minute we're going to come right back to you for those who may have just joined us, you're listening to Two Docs in a Pod. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, delighted to have Dr. Tamika Perry with us and our guest, Charlotta Spencer. Charlotta is a nurse practitioner. I wanna take a moment to wish a warm welcome to the newest Texas clinics to join the growing WellMed family. WellMed at North Fielder in Arlington, Texas, and WellMed at Canal in Groves, Texas. Dr. Mark Rogers and Dr. Gilbert Ledesma, nurse practitioner, Elizabeth Ryback, nurse practitioner Nancy Davis, and nurse practitioner Tori Ledesma all serve patients at WellMed at North Fielder. Dr. George Katai is the clinician at WellMed at Canal. 
They join WellMed's network of more than 16,000 doctors' offices in Texas and Florida. So welcome aboard. And, and as you were listening, uh, Dr. Perry, to what yes. uh, uh, Charlotta was saying, uh, what's your reaction to that really an incredible commitment and passion that, well, first that all, she brings forth? My hat's off to you because I commend you. That's that this sometimes from the perspective of a PCP, it can be a difficult conversation to have um, with a patient. So what I wanted to ask you as the expert within WellMed, um, you know, if you can just clarify the difference between palliative and hospice and how do you frame that conversation with a patient and their family and how do we know when it's time? Absolutely. So when we talk about palliative care, we talk, we talk about taking care of patients that are seriously ill, who have chronic diseases. And the thing that I, I try to explain to the families and the, and the staff and our PCPs is palliative can be, be started at any time of the disease trajectory. Um, the patient can be newly diagnosed with diabetes, newly diagnosed with um, blood, uh, breast cancer. And so what we do in palliative medicine is we palliate, meaning relieve symptoms. So oftentimes your patients who wind up in the hospital, right, it's not because of the cancer itself. It's because of most of the time it's because of the treatments and the side effects of those treatments. So nausea, vomiting, pain, constipation, um, dehydration. Yes. So what we do is we manage those things to continue their goal of cure. And that's what palliative care is. We sit down with our families early on and we say, hey, what is your goals here? What do you want to accomplish? And so when we uh, establish that goal, we continue that goal. So palliative care, you will continue through your, your trajectory of cure. You're still trying to fix stuff. Now, when we get to hospice support, we have elected or, or no longer allow, um, have the opportunity to fix or cure something. So now we're focusing on a different type of care. We're focusing on comfort care, quality of life for whatever time that you have left with us. Um, as I said, with palliative care, we're continuing on this breast cancer treatment. Um, my mother had breast cancer two years ago in New Orleans, and I asked her for a palliative care nurse. And she's like, still, this is my mother that I, I live with. She didn't yes. understand the difference of the two. And I yeah. said, you need somebody on team. And you know why? She had some radiation burns. She had some nausea and she had some depression. So that palliative care team was able to manage those symptoms to number one, keep her out of the hospital and keep her on that path of cure and treatment. Um, but with our hospice patients, we're still on a path, but the path is different. We know that we may not, we may not want to continue those, those treatments or we are unable to. And so now we're gonna focus more on what's important to you. How do we, how do we continue to make memories and build legacies and keep your symptoms managed for whatever time you have left, knowing that the end is near. Charlotte, correct me. Go, go ahead, Dr. Perry. No, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Ron. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I remember reading a study from the NIH that talked about when palliative care is instituted early and palliative care generally decreases hospitalization and it improves the quality of life, not only for the patient, but also for the, the people around them. I mean, is that your general experience as patients in our hospital a lot less, a lot comorbid conditions are decreased, you know, they just feel better. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, with those 14 hospitals that I used to um, we used to manage, we were decreasing hospitalizations left and right. Not only decreasing hospitalizations, we're decreasing um, 
ER visits, not and 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 people dying in the hospital. Because one of the major things with palliative care is making sure that the patient's wishes are known. People don't want to die in the hospital, you know, at end of life. They want to be surrounded by loved ones, if possible, at home with their own smells. And I, when I talk to my families, I say, I want to be home smelling the gumbo, right? I want to mm-hmm. be with my family. I don't want to be in the hospital with a bunch of strangers. And so as you talk to your families, you're absolutely right. We decrease hospitalizations. We're um, com- um, decreasing ER visits and taking care of those things in the home. So we're able to give hydration, prescribed medication, um, but really give psychosocial support. I did mention, and I'm sorry, Dr. Perry, is that palliative care is uh, interdisciplinary. So not only do we have the medical side of it, we have psychosocial support, which is a social worker, and we also have chaplaincy. So that full, we take care of the holistic patient. All those things will keep them home and out of the hospital. All right, we're going to come right back to you, and I want to talk a little bit about advanced care planning, trying to get down on paper what somebody wants to have happen as they approach end of life. I'm Ron Aaron. You're listening to Two Docs in a Pod. Dr. Tamika Perry, our co-host, along with our special guest, Dr. Charlotte Spencer, a nurse practitioner in Houston. Hi, it's Drew Pearson for my friends at WellMed. As a Hall of Famer, I love it when a quarterback and receiver have a great connection. You can be part of a great connection too. Connecting WellMed's high-quality healthcare with the highest-rated Medicare Advantage plan helps you focus on staying healthy. Call 210-436-6005 or visit wellmedhealthcare.com slash connect. Drew Pearson is a paid spokesperson. Other plans are accepted. For full enrollment details, visit medicare.gov. you're listening to Two Docs in a Pod, I'm Ron Aaron. We're delighted to have you on board with us today, our co-host, Dr. Tamika Perry. And our guest in Houston is Charlotta Spencer, a nurse practitioner. And we've been talking about palliative care and hospice. And I want to segue a moment uh, into a topic that a lot of families really are too hesitant to deal with. And when they finally need it, it's too late. And I'm talking about advanced care planning. So uh, Charlotta, tell us about that. So when we talk about advanced care planning, we really wanna talk about what are the patient's wishes. So oftentimes multiple families, just like you said, Ron, they're like, you can deal with it when it happens. But what, what advanced care planning does is allow you to make your wishes known, not only to the doctors and the medical team, but to your family. And so in, in Texas, we have the medical power of attorney, and which is when you, make, you appoint someone to be your voice when you no longer can speak. And so they are now your advocate. And so what I often tell my families is make sure you know, when you choose that medical power of attorney, that they can be your voice and speak for you and are willing to give your voice to the team, right? And then we have what we call the directives to physicians. And this document states the things that you want or do not want when you get to a, a terminal illness. So for, for patients, they may say, if the doctor deems me to not have, um, have a terminal illness that I will not 
you know, survive, these are the things that I want. And you're able to give those wishes. Do I want life-sustaining measures? Do I want a feeding tube? Do I want you to, to do all those things, CPR and the such? And so you're able to talk to them. And when I talk to my families about it, you know, you can't go into them and say, hey, do you want CPR? Everybody wants CPR, right? But one of the questions that you ask them is, how important it, what's most important to you in living, right? And how much do you want the medical team to help you obtain that? And so it's like, do you, and then you give them those examples. Do I want, do you want to be kept alive artificially? I always tell this story to my patients. My husband, um, we have high school sweethearts and we, um, he's a paramedic and I'm a nurse practitioner at end of life. What does paramedics like to do? save your life right and what do i want to do make sure that i'm doing for you what's important and so making sure that you give your voice to the person that's going to be able to give your to give your 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 wishes and i'll get back to that story here in a minute but then we have our what we call texas out of hospital do not resuscitate forms and what that form says is i don't want heroic measures i want to die comfortably and as gently as possible and patients can elect to have that and that form is more for the outpatient setting when a patient's in the hospital they'll they'll sign another form that states the same thing but that texas out of hospital do not resuscitate form is for outpatient clinics the emergency rooms and in the homes. So we share with the patients if that's their wishes, make sure that's visible because one thing that doesn't burn in the house is the is the is the refrigerator, right? And guess where people put the most important things in the freezer. So I always jokingly say, take it out the freezer <laughs> and put it somewhere where that paramedic can see. Because when my husband comes his six four large self in there, he's coming to save your life. And if that's not your wishes, we want them to be known. So I talk about those three forms, but then the biggest thing that's more important than these three forms is your wishes, letting them be known because the conversation is most important. Um, I have a patient currently um, in the ICU on a ventilator, 92 year old female. I met with her in the home. She reminds me of my grandmother. So I just took really close to her. She's just a phenomenal woman. And so she made it known to her daughter, who's her caregiver, that I, when God calls me home, I am done. Allow me to die gently and in peace. And she filled out her document. Let's keep in mind that her air condition broke. She moved in with her baby daughter, the youngest child. She went into respiratory distress. She started feeling bad. And guess where she's at now? In the hospital, on a ventilator, fighting for her life. But she didn't want to be on a ventilator, right? She did not want to be there. But the, the her, her, her conversation was given to one person, but not everybody didn't know. And so the conversation is most important. Giving your wishes to someone that, so they know where they are. And, and can, so, you, can you take her off that ventilator then to now accomplish her wishes? Yes, that is that is the conversation that they're ongoing having and helping that daughter realize that this was not her wishes. Um, but it's a family conflict, right? Because the oldest daughter knows what she wants, but she doesn't want to be the one now that she's on the ventilator to say, take mama off the ventilator. So I said that story to, for you guys to kind of get that piece of why the conversation is so important. Because once the patient is no longer able to make complex medical decisions, the medical Medical power attorney is now the person in charge. Right. So if they don't believe in what you said in the paper, they're going to have you do something else. You know, and it's important to realize that every year when you come to your PCP, at least yearly, that PCP, Medicare actually requires that we have that discussion with you. We say, 
you know, this is what advanced care planning is. I give literature to my patients, the three documents that Dr. Spencer talked about and the differences between those. But in the event that a patient or anyone listening has missed that, they can go on to the Texas Health and Human uh, Services website and they have a whole page about advanced care planning, what each of the three documents means, um, examples of the documents, because like Charletta says, the patient's wishes are most important. And if those wishes are clearly and legally documented, then we most certainly will honor what the patient wanted. Somebody had told me a while ago that when you pick someone to be that power of medical decisions, you really don't necessarily want your loved one who's not gonna wanna let you go. Back to my story. So I told you about my husband and we've been together since high school. Well, my sister is my medical power attorney. He's second, but my sister is because my husband is gonna keep me alive. I'm gonna be in a nursing home. I'm gonna have a feeding tube. I'm gonna have a tracheostomy and he's gonna come see me on Saturdays. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's the love that he has. But I, my sister knows that if I can't eat my seafood and smell my gumbo and smile and be with my daughter, that's not living to me. And so I, for me, my wishes and goals are that I'm able to live and, and live that uh, independently. So, so in Larry, the hospital, in the hospital setting, God forbid, Charlotta, you're on the bed, uh, you're just hanging on, and your husband wants to keep you going, right? And your sister has the power of attorney to turn you off. What does the doctor on duty do? Do, do they listen to the husband loved one? Or to the medical power of attorney? So this is how it is. If we have the documentation that states that it's a medical power of attorney, the doctor will then go by that. If there's no documentation, then it's going to be the first available next of kin. So if Larry's standing there and we have no document, we're going to go with Larry. But you if know, we have a document, you know, you make a, a good point. Yeah, if you have a document, I'm sorry, Dr. Perry. If no. you have the document, yes, the doctors will go by that. And when I did a lot of acute care um, consultation, that was a lot of conflict, right? That was a conflict in itself. Right. So you want to follow the, the directive of the physician, the directive to the physician that's legal document. But if there's no legal document, we're going with the first available next of kin by Texas statute. And as you guys probably know from listening to the show that I'm always a PCP advocate, right? And one of the things, one of the, the duties of the PCP is to um, encourage That's the primary the patient, care physician. Yes, the primary care physician is to encourage your patients to have these documents on file with them. So I always ask my patients, do you have a directive to the physicians? Do you have a medical power of attorney? Do you actually have that paperwork that I can put into your chart? Because your, your primary care physician is kind of the gatekeeper for your all of your medical care. So if you were to go into the hospital and something were to happen and you're in the ICU, if everyone's bickering, theoretically, we could call the PCP mm -hmm. office and say, yep, I sure do. Let me let me get it over to y'all. So you know exactly yeah. what Miss Jackson wanted, what Mr. Smith wanted. I'll tell you a true story about a, a fellow that we know had cardiac arrest. He was resuscitated, went to the hospital. Uh, they kept resuscitating him and his daughter said, hey, he's got a, a DNR. Uh, you need to show it to the hospital. So I went to the house. I couldn't find it. And sure enough, they kept him alive. He recovered. He went home and he said, boy, I'm glad you never found that DNR. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but yeah. you never know, right? You never, you never know. You never know. You never know. We got about two minutes left. And Charlotta, before we end, uh, share with us 
are the kinds of things that are really most important for families to think about before grandma's in the ICU? Definitely, as I, um, when I talk to my patients and families, I talk about, again, what, what is it that, um, how far do you want healthcare to go to keep you alive? Um, and we go from do all things to keep you alive, and that includes um, ventilator support, um, CPR continuously, feeding tubes and the such. And then the second thing is kind of maintaining where I'm at right now. So if you have some chronic conditions, kind of keeping you, um, keeping them um, at bay, you know, and then we talk about comfort care. I don't want any of these other things. I want to focus on the time that I have left here on earth and making sure I'm comfortable and allowing me to have a natural passing. And so those are the three things when I talk to my families, I give them those examples. And so with mom, when she's become 70 or 60, and I have to say really quickly, COVID has changed how I have a conversation about advanced care planning. These conversations are usually with older people, right? But as COVID came through, I was having it with 18-year-old parent, parents of 18-year-olds and 27-year-old wow. young moms and teachers and educators. And so it's very hard when a person is healthy and then they went through that. So if we don't have that conversation at least once, just with someone that you know that can be your advocate and your voice, that is most important. How much do, how much do you want the medical team to do to keep you here? And, and when do they stop? And that's kind of what, you know, what's important to you and how far do you want, how much are you willing to do to get there? In a way, Dr. Perry, got about 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. Talk to your PCP about those end of life decisions. Absolutely. Right. At any visit, it could be the acute visit or the chronic or the yearly yearly uh, physical exam. Please have a discussion with your PCP and they will direct you to where you can find more information and how those documents need to be filled out properly. Absolutely. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you both. Dr. Charlotte Spencer, you're a wonderful guest. Delighted to have you on board. To our co-host, Dr. Tamika Perry, love working with you. I'm Ron Aaron. Thanks for listening to Two Docs in a Pod presented by WellMed. Executive producers for Two Docs in a Pod are Dan Calderon and Leah Madrano. Our producer is Isaac Wilker and associate producers are Natalie Ibarra and Maurice Hudson. Thank you for listening to Two Docs in a Pod presented by WellMed. We welcome your emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. And be sure and tune in next week for another edition of Two Docs in a Pod with Dr. Tamika Perry and Ron Aaron. Mm -hmm.